saints, come on. Bless the worship team for all they do for the Lord. Aren't they amazing? Thank you. Come on, give it up for the worship team. Never take them for granted. Open up your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Thank you for coming here today. So glad to see you. We're going to pray for the Bonillas, the gentleman that literally was just doing your announcements, kitchen caught on fire. So you can just imagine what that would be like. So we want to pray for them. They have uh, tenants that attend our first service. So those tenants said, hey, I think your house is on fire. And they called the, uh, the fire department. So, Father, we ask you right now to be with the Bonillas, not what they wanted today, Lord, on your day, but, God, we ask for your blessing to be upon them. We ask for uh, protection. We ask for insurance. We ask for firefighters to be safe. We just ask for everything to be done according to your will and for your glory. And whatever this test is, Lord, will turn into a testimony. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to Hebrews 12, 14. Somebody say, live in peace. Live in peace. Today we're going to be talking about living in peace from our book. We're getting towards the end of it. We might finish chapter 12 today, and then all that's left is chapter 13. If you've been with us for a while, you know we're going verse by verse through the whole book of Hebrews. We finished John in the first service. Now I started a new series there on the church. So if you're interested in that, make sure you're taking a look at our app or YouTube to get all those goodies. Hebrews chapter 12, looking at verse 14, make every effort to live in what? Live in peace. Everybody say peace. Amen. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Brother, would you please highlight this? Because this goes against our idea of American Christianity. American Christianity is just, you know, do whatever you want to do and God will accept it and there's not going to be much expected of you. But highlight that whole verse for our, for our congregation today, my brother, please. Because notice what the Bible says. It says, make every effort to live in peace. Highlight the whole verse if you could. Thank you. I know you guys got some complications back. Let's give it up for the sound booth. They're doing great, doing their best. Come on, clap for them. Clap like you really mean it. Not like you feel sorry for them, but you really mean it. We're cheering you on back there, fellas. Thank you. Make every effort to live in peace. Does it say, well, just try your best? Does it say God will just take whatever you give them? Notice that in Christianity, there requires an effort, and not just any kind of effort, but every effort. We are saved by grace through faith. Don't get it twisted. Just because we don't go to the bridge in Fullerton and try to find the mother of Guadalupe doesn't mean that we don't have good works. Just because we're not lighting prayer candles today and calling a man who dresses up like mother, calling him father, please don't think that we don't take this seriously. Oftentimes people think that Christianity is just an easy believism. When I talk to my Muslim friends, that's what they say. Oh, you just believe in this guy who died on the cross and that means everything's fixed for you? Well, how convenient. We have to fast, pray five times a day. We got to do all of these good deeds and then we're judged on a scale and if we don't have enough good, we don't get in. My Hindu neighbors say the same exact thing about the karmic cycle. They don't want to keep getting recycled over and over and over again. They got to do more good than they do bad so they can keep getting upgraded. And yet, we as Christians have these commands. These commands are sitting right here in front of us. But does it mean we are saved by our efforts? No. Everybody say no. No. Open up a tab in our scriptures, please. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says how we are saved. But now that we are saved by grace through faith, we make every effort to live for Jesus by grace through faith. Look at it. For it is by grace you have been what? Saved through what? Faith. Thank you. This is not from yourself. See, we don't take credit for it. 
The one in Hinduism takes credit for it, don't they? They say, I'm a better person than this person. They take credit. The Muslim takes credit for it. As a matter of fact, they boast in taking credit about how good they are. And even when you talk to the Roman Catholic, what do they normally say? I'm a good person. That's what they always say. But the Bible says none of us are good. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We can't save ourselves. We are saved by God 100% by his grace through faith. And what that simply means is we believe that Jesus wants to save us. We're not putting our faith in a bunch of self-effort. We're not putting our faith that we can be a better person, re, you know, remodel our lives, improve ourselves. We're putting 100% faith in the 100% grace of God. Can I hear an amen? Amen. By grace. 100% grace, you have been saved through faith. 100% faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. See how, how he makes it clear there? Kadis means gift, and then he literally says it's a gift. So the gift is given by a gift. Amen? Grace is given by a gift. Those words play right on each other. The gift of God is grace. And grace means gift. He's gifting you a gift of forgiveness. Now notice how he clarifies it even more. Not by works so that no one can boast. When you and I have a great payday and things go good for us, we tend to boast in our effort. And that's okay in the sense of what you are achieving in this world. If you're in a sales job and you get paid on commission, it's amazing if you do better than everybody else in your department. How many would rejoice about something like that? Man, I beat you, dude. I got more sales, you know, whatever. Or, you know, you're in competition. You're AT&T and you're in competition with T-Mobile. And at and doing better than T-Mobile. That's great, okay? That's amazing. You can boast in that effort. But remember, always give God the glory for it. Like God allowed me to kick T-Mobile's butt today, you know, like give God the glory for it. But understand this, when it comes to salvation, there is nothing attached to the gift that God has given us. The gift comes without any strings attached and without any effort. There is no uh, thing that we have exchanged for that gift. That is why it's so clear. Not by works so that no one can boast. So there's nothing to boast about. In heaven, if you are there by God's grace and you are going there and staying there, how many want to stay in heaven? Some people are just going to be there for a few minutes and then get the boot and get kicked right out. Let's <laughs> think about that for a minute. They're going to bow down, say, Jesus is Lord, and be like, I done messed up. And then they're going to be sent to hell. So the last thing they're going to see before they went to, they go to hell is Jesus Christ and all that he promised he would do for us. But notice, when we are there and we're watching that happen, are we then going to boast over them and go, no, 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 look how amazing I am. No, you're going to give all glory to God. You're going to say, it's all God. It was never me. Some of my friends are going to be there, and they were from the same, you know, let's just play this out. I don't know, and I don't want to judge, but I'm just saying some probably are not going to be Christians and be there. And they're going to have been in my class in high school, and they're going to remember me, remember me as the criminal, the drug dealer. And they went to school, uh, college, and they got scholarships, and they might have became doctors. And they're going to be wondering, how in the world does that dude get in? How does, I'm a good person, that guy committed crimes. But you see, what they don't understand is that they've committed crimes against God. When the person says, I'm a good person, you just got to give them the good person test. You guys know it, the commands. Have you told a lie? What do we call people who tell lies? Liars. Have you ever stolen something, no matter how small it is, borrow something and bring it back? What do we call people who steal things? Thief, right? And then you go through it, and then you show them, even just on average, if you commit just three to five of those violations for 60 years of your life, do the math, say five sins times 365 times 60 years of your life, that's 109 
9,000 sins God has against you. Are you a good person? Of course not. And one of those sins, one of those 109,000 sins in the Garden of Eden got them kicked out in hell on earth. So you think God's playing with just one sin? No. So notice this. We are not saying we're saved by our, our own effort. We're saved by God's grace. We don't boast in this. But look at verse 10. Please highlight that. For we are God's handiwork or his master craftsmanship. We are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. So because you are saved, you are now created to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. How many have heard me explain this passage before? If you've been in church for a while, you know I have. So please be patient as we are giving this to our new visitors. Notice what it says. You're created as a handiwork to do the good work. So now as a Christian, no one can say, I can't do the good works of God. Well, are you a Christian? Yep, well, you can do it. Just like I say to my kids, you're a Wyrostic. You can clean your bedroom. Amen. My kids are capable of doing what I ask them to do. And so when God looks at us and he says, I want you to love your neighbor, forgive those who sin against you, do good to those who despitefully use you, even your enemies, pray that God would bless them. And he says all that for, for you and I to do. We cannot respond back, I'm not able to do it. If we are responding like that, we're one in one of two positions. We're either not a Christian, and it's actually true, we can't, and you're just simply hearing the law of God without the Spirit of God, and so you're just hearing a law, and then you know you can't, and that could be true, but you're a sinner on your way to hell. Or you are a Christian, and you're hearing God speak to you, the law of God, and God is teaching you how to do it, wanting you to do it, and you're rebellious. You understand that? There's no other way around it. Either you're going to fall into the category if, if you're struggling with the commands of God. It's one of two things. You are either a non-Christian and you're on your way to hell and you are right. You cannot live for God. You're right. You can't. You're on your way to hell. Or you are a lukewarm, immature Christian that doesn't yet know what it means to be a Christian. What God wants us to be is right in the middle, knowing our identity and accepting our assignment. When you know who you are, you can do what God called you to do. Everybody say it like this. I am who God said I am. I can do what he said I can do. There you go. So if you're God's handiwork, can you do the work? You can. Now, can my bicycle right now get up to, say, 200 miles an hour and compete in NASCAR? No, but can a NASCAR do what a NASCAR does? Yeah, because it's a NASCAR, right? Does everybody get that? Can my bicycle be used to slice butter or, uh, you know, uh, cut bread and, and, and butter up some bread today? I mean, it would in a weird way, but it's not made for that. But can a butter knife do that? You know, yes. See, the thing is made for what it's made for. A sinner is going to sin because they're a sinner. And the same is true for the righteous. The righteous will be righteous because they were made righteous. I don't do righteous to become righteous. I just like think about it like this. A sinner doesn't do sin to be a sinner. They're born a sinner. You're in one of two categories as birth. The first birth, born as a sinner, or a second birth, recreated in the image of God. Please put that in John 3.3. 3. Second tab. Leave that tab open. Thank you. John 3.3, 3, Jesus said unto Nicodemus, Truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are what? Born again. So everybody's under one birth right now. Either the first birth from Adam and Eve, passed down from generation to generation, separated from God, born as a sinner, or born again as a saint. That's how it works. Now go back to our passage in Hebrews 12, 14. I believe Paul, the author here, is teaching us something that we need to understand. Make every effort to live in what? Peace with everyone. So this would be like you 
saying to the NASCAR driver, make every effort to drive at 200 miles an hour. That's what you were made for. Now get up to 200 miles an hour. Stop hanging out in the bike lane going five miles an hour. That's what it's like for me as a pastor when I see Christians struggling in their walk. I'm like, what are you doing? You're hanging out with the donkeys. You're black stallion. You're a, you're a thoroughbred horse. Why are you eat on, eat on over here? You're not a donkey. You're a, you're a stallion. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a stallion. You're a horse. You know, you're called to do something great for God. You're not called to be a donkey. You're not called to be a chicken. You're called to be an eagle. Stop acting like a chicken. And I've been there. I've, I've been a chicken before. I've been a donkey before. And you could say it in the King James, a Jack blank. You know. But listen, I've been there. But here's the idea. That's not who God made us to be. God's saying, now make effort to do what I called you to do. And the first thing is that he wants us to be at peace with everyone. That means we should not be causing conflict over our Christian beliefs without first having a good reason to do so. That's why when I was sharing a few weeks ago, Christians going to malls, private property, singing songs, and then getting kicked out and calling that persecution. No, that's stupidity. God did not call us to violate the laws of private ownership to say now we're Christians suffering for Jesus. Just go to the public areas. I mean, brother, isn't there enough place on the west side for them to preach and sing all day long? You can go sing all day long on Pulaski and Madison. Why are you picking a mall that's owned by a corporation that's going to decide whether or not they want you to be there? Well, it's the Lord, and he told me to do it. Well, then don't get mad at the Muslim who comes into your house and says, the Lord told me or Allah told me to sing my prayers in your front yard. Right? How many know that's private property? See, but that's the way Christians think this way. We're going to do all this. Or back in the day when a bunch of fools stormed the White House. Oh, we're doing this for God and country. No, you're not. You're doing it because you're a fool and you believe some conspiracy theory. Now you wonder why you're all in jail. You're complaining about BLM rights, and then you ride all the way up here onto the Capitol. Oh, it was an inside job. The CIA made us look bad. No, the CIA didn't drag your butt inside there shouting out Nancy Pelosi. You Oompa Loompa, you did that yourself. You see, we want to blame the devil on that. I, 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 listen to me. I believe there are some things going on in our government and all that, but I wasn't stupid enough to kick down the White House and try to walk in there. Are you listening? You don't see Daniel doing that. Let me kick down the doors and show you all something. You see, when you look at the Bible, you see how godly men and women lived with their authority and their convictions while still trying to be at peace with people. When did Daniel get thrown in a lion's den? When he kept trying to pray in front of uh, people's private property or destroy their idols and all that? No, he got thrown into a lion's den when they told him not to pray. Are you listening to me? Now, in America, we do have public space and public schools and those things we should fight for. Don't get me wrong. I am conservative in that. In that. But what I'm saying is let's not call it persecution. That's just us standing up for the things we believe. We don't want drag, uh, drag queen library hour if we can't have Bible study hour. But if you want to be honest, they can have it all. Why? Because it's public. They want to have satanic reading hour, as some have done in their states, to show what it feels like. Then we, we got to be honest and go, that's fair. Come on. Somebody say amen. That's fair. You may not like Satanists having public reading hours, but if they're going to do that, we're going to do ours. Now let people make a choice. And how many know Jesus kicks the devil's butt every time? I don't have to force you to be a Christian. I'll just give you the choice, and you'll see what Jesus does for you. But you see, we have to understand our roles within government. We have to understand our roles within society. Our role is to first be at peace with them. My role for my neighbor is me not to invade his house with gospel tracts, shout the Bible over our fence, and be a bad neighbor. My best way of a representation as a Christian to my neighbor is to cut his yard when I see it growing a little long and just do it because I want to do it. 
to be a good neighbor is to bring over some extra barbecue, amen, over the fence. And then to preach to him in the relationship that I have. Now I can say I'm at peace. Now if he wants to act crazy towards me, that's up to him. Sometimes I hear in our church when the, uh, you know, Christians, you guys put your Bible studies in your house, then they have problems. They didn't have problems with the house party. Now they got problems with the Bible study. Landlord said, I don't want all these people here. Well, you didn't say that to your cousin Flacco when he came over last week and he put, you know, partied in our backyard. See, now that's hypocrisy. Come on, somebody say there's a time for peace and there's a time for war. Amen. The Bible talks about that, but our job is to be at peace. So don't start no stuff, won't be no stuff. Christians, the Bible says, are to be as harmless as doves, but as shrewd as serpents. Anytime you think about the uh, serpent, most of the time we think about the devil, but the serpent belongs to God. And he says that's a good example of shrewdness, not to deception, but to shrewdness. And so I want to be shrewd in what I do. When I was out preaching out uh, the other weekend here that just passed at Elgin uh, Farmer's Market downtown, I realized when we got there, the vibe was a little different. It wasn't like being at Lollapalooza. Us just shouting about everybody going to hell while they're trying to get their little bratwurst or whatever, probably is not the best idea, you know? So I said, man, let's just, let's just chill down a little bit because we came pretty, you know, we came pretty like stallioned up there. And, and you know what I'm talking about, brother. And I'm just like, let's just knock it down a few notches. Let's talk to them. And then within a few minutes, man, we started drawing a crowd, which we had never had at Lollapalooza. But you see, we had to know where we, are, where we were. The Bible says, to a Jew, I became like a Jew, Paul said. To the, to the Romans, I became like the Romans. Now, if you just want to go out there and shout out them all going to hell, that's between you and the Lord. That's between Rudy, who's in charge. But if you notice, brother, when I got the mic, those young men stopped. Another guy stopped. He had his child there with the little, uh, you know, little cart and everything. We started making a lot of progress there. But, of course, a Karen came over and caused some issues. I mean, the Karens will always find us. And so when she came over to us, she's just like, stop saying you're affiliated with us. And I said, I'm not affiliated with you. I said, I'm just here at the farmer's market. I'm here. But she's like, people think you're affiliated with us. I'm like, I've never said the word affiliated one time. It's on camera. But I said, I I I think I get the point. You don't want me to be affiliated with you. And then she started getting a little sassy with me. And I just said, calm down, Karen. We okay. We're okay. This is what we're going to do. We're going to preach, and then you're going to go over there and sell your arts and crafts. That's what we're going to do, okay? And then the police came over. I'm just being honest with you. The police came over, and I said, just just let me make sure I understand the law because I don't want to break the law. That's not my desire. Now, like I said, they're not telling me I can't pray. They're not telling me any of that. But now there's this woman who runs the farmer's market that feels like I'm infringing on her rights. And I said to the police officers, I said, let me just make sure I got this. I have freedom of speech. I can use a speaker for so many decibels. Obviously, I can't bring these speakers out there. Otherwise, that would disrupt the whole neighborhood. But we can have a speaker up to 100 feet of distance. Okay, these are the codes. I said, this is what I understand. And then where that barrier uh, uh, starts and what she's got going on over there is her space. And if I'm outside of here on this space, I'm in public property with this speaker. And he said, yep, that's the truth. And then this is what I did even take it one step further. I said, have you heard us preach yet? He said, no, I haven't heard you preach. I said, that's probably a good thing because you've been over there. Yeah, I've been over there. So that means it doesn't travel that far. It's the 100 feet right here. Then I said, but just to clear my conscience one step further, I said, I'm going to have a brother preach for you right now, and then you tell me if you think it's too loud. See, brothers, we're not ashamed of anything. You remember that? And then I said, brother, is it get up there and preach? You got an audience right here. And he started preaching with the policemen watching. See, that's how you live at peace. Now, once again, if that policeman was to come to us like our dear brother in Wisconsin had happened to him, tell us to move, and then when we moved, then they tried to arrest us because we went to where they moved, well, we're going to stand up for 
for our rights. We'll see you uh, in, in court, Officer Fido. We're going to meet you there, right? Because we, we don't believe that you can go above the law, amen? And if they ever make loving Jesus wrong, I don't want to be right, amen? If loving Jesus is wrong, I don't want to be right in your world. I'm right with God. So don't use your radicalness, your love for God, to not be at peace with people. Just a few more examples. There's husbands and wives. Oftentimes, they're not on the same page as with God. Don't use your love for God to to disrespect and disrupt your house. Amen? Because wives, if your husband's not serving the Lord, you simply speaking in tongues all the time, pouring oil on them, and trying to cast out devils, it's not going to necessarily reach him with the Lord. The Bible actually says you serving him, you bringing him, you know, a nice uh, dinner or being kind to him is going to bring him closer to Jesus and just pouring oil on his head. And the same thing with the husbands if their wives aren't serving Jesus. And then with our kids, if our kids are in homes, young people here, and your parents aren't yet serving the Lord, we don't need you to go home and call them Satan, get behind me, Satan, I rebuke you, and get all up in their business, and they cuss, and then you tell them, no unholy thing shall proceed out of your mouth, you know, and you start putting them in check. Now listen, if they, if they open to that, that's fine. But if they start saying, hey, don't tell me about this, I don't need to hear about this, you respect them, Amen. I said amen. You honor them for the good that they have. Is there good in their lives? Well, then you honor that, and then you make your peace with it, and you live at peace with them, and you share with them your testimony. And the way that you'll show them that you love Jesus is by your good grades, doing right, not messing around with boys or girls, staying out of trouble, and then they'll take notice of your testimony. That's why I always tell young people, you're preaching Jesus, but your room's a mess. Your parents aren't taking you serious. Amen. And then now, just lastly, here in our, in our culture, if we want to show people that we're serious, which we are about heaven and hell, and we believe there are certain lifestyles that the Lord doesn't affirm, you know, sex outside of marriage, homosexuality, all these things, well, then let, us, let, the, let them see that we're also into adoption and that we're also into the community. Amen. And that we're also into taking care of people. Can I hear an amen for that? I mean, think about what just happened in this church over the last seven days. Seven days ago, eight technically, West Side back to school party. Then we went to uh, Wednesday right here for our children's back to school party. Then Friday, back to school party. And then uh, Saturday, there was a block party. And then like I said, Friday, I was in Elgin. I don't know how many outreaches that was. How many know we love this city? So we, we're not just here saying we're angry at you. We're not just saying that we're against you. We're saying that we love you. And that's why when people, uh, you know, call uh, Christians hypocrites, I agree with them because most Christians don't do anything about it. They're just like Fox News Christians. I'm, I'm, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I love Jesus. Well, what are you doing for Jesus, you know? They don't do anything for Jesus, man. I was standing out from the abortion clinic the other day. And uh, we were trying to spare the, uh, you know, the unborn life, and they, they started cussing us out, and, and, and they stayed long enough to stop cussing us out, thankfully, and they started talking to us. And then the father said, well, why don't you just take this one, then, if you're adopting children? And I said, I will. But isn't that crazy that they thought that they were going to get one over on me because I was going to say, no, I, I'm not going to take them. It reminds me of the liberals when they say, oh, we want all the immigrants to come, and they go around interviewing the, the, the liberals and say, how many immigrants will you take home with you now? Oh, no, I can't. Well, you, okay, you want someone else to do it. They thought they could do that with us. No, I would have taken that baby right out of that truck and brought him home with me. My wife has given me permission to take home children that are unwanted at that facility. And then we work with the, the foster care and those different things. See, the, the world tries to use our, our hypocrisy against us, but not every Christian is a hip, hypocrite. Not every Christian is doing it wrong. Everybody say, live in peace. Amen. What's the next thing? Make every effort to be holy. Keep that verse highlighted for me, my brother. Thank you. Everybody say holiness. 
Look at what it says here. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Old preachers used to say holiness or hell. And now, you know, people say, oh, I was brought up like that. And, I, you know, and it used to be so legalistic. And I'm glad that I'm not, you know, like that anymore. Be careful what you curse because God might have been blessing him. Our past generations were taught to be a lot more holier in their home than they are now. I would rather you come to me and cry and say, my parents didn't let me watch TV than what's on TV today your parents not caring about. Sometimes people say, well, my parents were strict or I grew up like this. A lot of people my generation, Gen X, you know, even millennials, well, I was brought up like this. I was told, you know, to throw my music away, you know, back in the day, you know, they had albums and stuff. Man, that wasn't bad. Throwing away ACDC wasn't bad, amen. Highway to hell, man, throw that away. You don't need that. I don't even care if it was Julio Iglesias. When I stopped listening to secular music, it was all bad for me. Now, some of us can listen to secular music now and it not count as a sin because it doesn't take us out of holiness. But if you were brought up in a certain way that made you think that way, to, uh, to, 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 to be uh, cognizant of what you were listening to and you were strict, man, I would rather that. Now, I know sometimes people say, well, it was so strict. You know, I couldn't do anything except go to church and then come home and eat. And that's why we were all fat and going to church all the time, you know. Because sometimes you look at church people, that's all they can do, go to church and eat, you know. And so uh, one guy said, that's why I became a fat preacher. But listen, you can do more than go to church and eat, okay? You can do stuff in life. But listen, you have to understand, holiness is how we see the Lord. If we're not holy, we cannot see the Lord. So in our generation, there are people who are holy, and then there are people who are unholy. And the Bible says he wants a holy people. So you need to look at your life and get the sin out and live for Jesus. Can I show you a list of sin? Amen. Let's go to Colossians. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3. I always go to uh, Galatians, but I'll get you guys a different list today. Switch it up a little bit. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Put verse 5 in there. Notice what it says. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Now, notice these things he talks about. And most of the time, Paul begins his list of sin with sexual immorality. How serious do you think that is to God? Amen. So people are like, oh, it doesn't matter. It's just sex. It's just... No, no, no. According to the Bible, this is probably the number one thing that will keep people out of heaven. This and greed. But when Paul makes his list, he's always bringing this up. Notice it. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Those four pretty much all describe the same thing. And the way that it's, that it's brought up, evil desires right next to lust, more than likely it's just all together. Sexual immorality, actually the act. Impurity, doing things outside of sex, but they're impure. Lust, thinking about those things. And then evil desires, trying to entice people to do it. And then greed. And Jesus talked about that too. That's why I said it's, it's, it's mostly sexual immorality or greed are the two main causes of pride, why people go to hell. Now, notice what the Bible calls it, idolatry. See, we think of Buddhism as, as idolatry, and I had Joe B., God bless his heart, he wrote me uh, the other day, and he was like, hey, man, there's a conservative Hindu now running for office. Would you vote for him? And I'm like, man, I'll, I'll vote for Donald Duck if I have to. I'm voting for the lesser of evils. So if Donald Duck is the lesser of evil than Bozo the Clown, then I'm voting for Donald Duck. Does everybody get that? So that's the way I vote. I vote for the lesser of evil. So I'm going to look at two of them. Here's Donald Duck. Here's Bozo the Clown. I could put in my vote. Jesus and try to be cute and that count for nothing. I vote for Jesus, you know, and that count for nothing. But this is just me. I'm going to look at Donald Duck, Bozo the Clown, and I'm going to pick out the one that's closest to what I believe. Amen. Can I hear an amen about that? So he said, what about this guy? You know, he's an idolater. Well, hello, according to the Bible, we've already voted in a whole bunch of idolaters. Do you see it up there? 
If you ever voted in somebody that had sexual immorality, they were an idolater according to the Bible. You see, it's not just putting an idol called Buddha in front of your life that makes you an idol worshiper. If you put your sexuality before God in your life in any of these ways, not just homosexuality, but even sleeping with somebody you're not married to or OnlyFans or any of that or putting your money above the things of God, the Bible says that is idolatry. How many know idolatry is still well and alive in our culture? So, yeah, Hindu, he actually has a God of sex, and he has a God of death, and he has a God of that. Yeah, I get that. That's obvious idolatry. But according to the Bible of the heart, most men and women in this culture are are idolatrous. Now, notice what it says in verse 6. Because of these, the wrath of God is what? Look at your neighbor and say, get ready. It's coming. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Seriously, the wrath of God is what? Come on, help me out, man. The wrath of God is coming. You're not going to get away from it. The wrath of God is coming like a train, choo, choo, get, get on or get out the way. And what's called, why is it coming? Because of these reasons right here. Now notice what verse 7 says. You used to walk in these ways. How many used to be something like this? Amen. Don't get, you know, all sanctified in church and now pretend you forget your past. Man, I could put a check mark next to every one of these things. And not only would I get a check mark, man, I was achieving a high grade for the devil. And was anybody a good sinner? Some of you were bad sinners. You were bad at sinning. How many was good at sinning? Y'all don't want to say it. Now you're ashamed. Now some of you were good at sinning. Let's just be honest. You were the ones your friends called up to sin some more with. You know what I'm talking about. Don't be a good sinner. Amen? Repent of your sins. Stay away from it. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the way you used to live. But now you must rid yourselves of all of these things. Now notice what we have to rid rid ourselves of. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. That's why we don't cuss. That's why we don't talk dirty. Because we're going to rid these things from our lips. Do not lie to each other. Amen? Amen. We don't lie to each other as Christians. Since you have taken off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and image of its creator. This is the list right here of Paul in Colossians. And he teaches us that this is what holiness looks like. Now go on down to verse 12, please. Not only does it look like not doing the bad things, ridding the evil, but it's also the good things. Therefore, as God's people, holy and dearly loved, close yourselves with what? Compassion. What's the next one? Kindness, come on, say it with me, humility, gentleness, and what? Patience, bearing with each other, forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against, against you, forgive as the Lord's forgiven you. And above all of these virtues, put on what? Love, amen, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now going back to Hebrews, this is enough, uh, enough for us to understand holiness. So make every effort, live at peace with everyone, and be holy. Now, ask yourself this question. Let's just be honest. Right now, brothers and sisters, as I scan this room and see all your beautiful faces, how well are you doing at that? Because this is not a game to God. Because the Bible says you will not see the Lord unless you do this. Well, pastor, I thought we were saved by grace. Yeah, you were saved by grace to do these things. If you are not doing these things, if these things are not coming out of your life, the the holy things, and you're not stopping the bad, then are you really saved? As one preacher said, you know, everybody says they're saved because back then it was popular to say you're saved in that culture. Then he would ask him, what are you saved from? You know, if you're still doing the same things you did before you supposedly got saved, then are you really saved? Come on, man. you got to be saved, saved. Look at your neighbor and say, are you saved, saved? Tell somebody. Because if you're saved, saved, your life has changed. Parents, your life has changed in the way you treat your children. Spouses, your life has changed. Young people, you are not the same if you are saved, saved. 
Now look at this, verse 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. Highlight that, please, falls short of the grace of God. So oftentimes people have asked me, can someone lose their salvation? Yes, they can if they want to give it up. According to the scripture, you who had once received the grace of God. Hebrews is talking to Christians. As I showed you early on in the passage, when we went through the different chapters, he is talking to brothers and sisters. How many know that? None of you said amen to that quick enough. Go to Hebrews chapter 2. Go to Hebrews 2. How many know it now? No, still somebody don't know. You ain't paying attention. Another one. Most of you don't know it then. Go to Hebrews chapter 2. People want to say that only non-Christians go to hell, that Christians cannot backslide and then find themselves in hell. No, not according to the Bible. Now, notice who Hebrews is written to. The same book. Somebody say the same book. Amen. Hebrews 2 verse 1. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore to do what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Look at that. Christians can drift away. Do you see that? Look at verse 2. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? Do you all see that? So if we ignore the great salvation, we ourselves will also be judged. Now continue on down. Continue on down to chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy what? Brothers and who? Sisters who share in the heavenly calling. If that's not a Christian, I don't know what is. Sometimes my Baptist brothers who believe in one save, always save, say, no, he's not talking to Christians. He's just talking to people in the church. Holy brothers and sisters, I mean, how much more can he address them as Christians? What else do you want to call them? The member of the First Presbyterian Church of Hebrews? You know what I'm saying? I mean, he calls them holy brothers and sisters. That is the term for a Christian. The word Christian is only used a few times in the Bible, by the way. These terms are used way more. Brother, sister, uh, saints, disciples. That's who he's talking to. Notice that. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters. Put it in the King James, please. Just put that in the King James. I want you all to see this. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. King James. Wherefore, holy brethren partakers of the heavenly calling. That means you're saved. Amen? Now go all the way down to verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, the Holy Ghost saith, Today if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the day of provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works for 40 years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said they do always err in their hearts, and they have not known my way, so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Verse 12, take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you have an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. <sighs> Got to put that in your once saved, always saved pipe and smoke it. Just because you were once saved, that does not mean you are always going to be saved. How do you know you will be saved? Verse 14, for we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence, steadfast unto the end. 
Am I saved now? Absolutely, by grace through faith. But what must I do to see Christ say, well done, my good and faithful servant, hold on to the end. Keep on keeping on. Amen? Keep on keeping on. Hold on to Jesus. Times get hard, hold on to Jesus. People don't like you, hold on to Jesus. People leave you, hold on to Jesus. Times get hard, hold on to Jesus. Times are good, don't forget about Jesus. Hold on to Jesus. Always hold on. Now going back to our notes, please. Why is this important? Because he is warning those people, the holy brethren, not to fall short of the grace of God. How do I know he can't be talking to sinners? Because sinners don't even have the grace of God. If I have something, I can lose it. If I don't have it, I don't have to worry about losing it. I never had it. Does everybody get it? And when we talk about losing salvation, we don't mean it like how my wife loses her phone every day and we have to do the find your phone app. She has six kids and puts up with me. I know, feel sorry for her, but we do have to do that. It's not like an accident. When the Bible says uh, fall away from something, falling short of something, or shipwrecking something, as it does in other passages, or uh, to, to do something as in uh, John, to be cut off is another word. So cut off, fall short, shipwreck, these kinds of terms. These are not accidental terms, brothers and sisters. These are not accidental sins or sins that God is dealing with you in. Just go to Hebrews 10, 26, please. The same book, same book, few chapters earlier, 10, 26 of Hebrews, tells us very clearly Clearly the kind of person that falls short of the grace of God. If we deliberately keep on sinning after having received the knowledge of the truth, there is now no more sacrifice for sins, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Everybody see that? Highlight deliberately keep on sinning. You see, it's that keeping on, but of sinning that gets you cut off. So it's never an accident. Anybody that was once saved that is no longer saved had to trample on the blood of Jesus. It says it right here, verse 29. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who trampled the Son of God underfoot? Does everybody see that? Amen. Now, you might just say, well, that's for other kind of people. No, look at the next verse 30. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge the Gentile sinners out there No, the Lord will judge his people. He'll judge his own people just like he judges them out there. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Now, going back to these notes, I want everyone to see this. The warning is true. You can fall short of the grace of God. That means you once had it. Now you fall short of it. So an example would be like you're on grace or like you're standing on grace. Like how many know I'm standing on a platform right now? Be- uh, uh, built by the beautiful hands of Carlos right over there. Let's give it up for my brother, Armando Carlos. Those man hands, amen. Be- by- built by the beautiful hands of brother Carlos. I don't have as nice a hands. Anyways, so I'm standing on grace. Somebody say he's standing on grace. Because I didn't make this. My brother made this. This is an illustration that has two applications. So track with this is it's his gift to me, and I stand on it. But how many know I can fall from it? I can fall short of it. I can trip off of it. I can no longer be on grace that this brother gave me, this stage. And it's the same thing with your walk. You are to be built on the rock of Jesus Christ, to be built on the foundation of Jesus. But you can fall off of it in your deliberate sin. 
Now, I want you to think about this as we already went through a list list of sin that showed us sexual immorality and all those things because this would shock most people. The thing now that the author goes to as that which is first in his mind inspired by the Spirit as he's writing that you can fall off of God's grace and fall short of it is bitterness. Look at this. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile some. No, defile many. Highlight defile many, please. Thank you, my brother. I can testify to this, and I'm sure many of you can. How many have seen bitterness put a root of defilement not only in the person's life, but it grows the fruit that defiles others? Oh, you bitter at Metro Praise? I'm bitter too. Let me get some of your fruit of bitterness. Let me taste it. Mm, I'm so defiled now. Let me get some more. Oh, you're bitter towards this person in your life? Let me just take some of your bitterness and tell you about my bitterness. You take some of my fruit. Let's both get defiled. Be some pigs in the mud. Just wallow in our own mud. And a lot of that mud came out of the backside of a pig. Are you listening to me? Just wallow in all of that. No, 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 no. I don't want to be defiled. No, get that away from me. My ears are not trash cans, as the old saying goes. You're bitter, you got to get better. And I'll tell you what, as it says right here, that bitter root is a sneaky root because it comes in very subtle. The root of much bitterness comes from the truth of honest hurt. I'm not saying that people at our church haven't been hurt, but they're wrong to be bitter about it. I'm not saying that many people in life have not been truly hurt. People get hurt all the time, and I believe that is a sad reality of life. But what happens is is the devil will see your hurt. Maybe someone didn't say hi to you, and they should have. Maybe they should have been kinder to you, and they they were. Maybe they raised their voice, and you don't appreciate that. Maybe they said something to you, and you you didn't agree. But something the devil does is he takes what could be a real justifiable hurt that you could take to Jesus and have your broken heart healed. He'll say, no, 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 don't do that. Don't bring it to Jesus to be healed. Take it as a seed and put it in your heart and let it just grow. And you know, it can affect anybody at any time. It affected me in a way that I didn't even understand for almost three years. When I came out of Bible college, I had a hurt because of how I was treated. And if I told each and every one of you my sad story, everybody would agree and say, you were hurt. You would say, I'm sorry that happened to you. There would be nobody that would disagree with me. I'm sure if I told you my story, just like a lot of times people tell you their stories, you would say, I agree with you. They did you wrong. I get it. You were hurt. And you would probably even give me the same kind of advice that others had given me. You know, forgive them, move on. It, it, it doesn't have to affect you anymore, but here's the thing. I thought I was better than that. I thought that I could keep a little bit to myself. Whenever I got around other Bible college students, I could just give them some of my fruit of bitterness, tell them what I think about my Bible college, and that I would be justified and God would understand because they did me wrong. But as time began to go by, I began to notice that my relationships were now turning bitter. And those relationships had nothing to do with that other relationship. 
In other words, messy people cause messes. I started realizing that I didn't know how to love and get along with people who I actually wanted to love and get along with because I was carrying around an offense towards others and a way of handling things that I thought was acceptable. And it wasn't until I was at a pastor's conference that I was brought in as a special guest to wine and dine with the preachers, though they didn't drink wine, I should say a soda pop and dine with the preachers. I was there as a special guest, as a who's who among the conference, and yet in hearing one of the conference speakers, Sergio Scatolini from Buenos Aires, Argentina, And the fire of his holiness out of his book he was preaching. If anyone wants that today, we'll buy that as a gift for you. The fire of his holiness. The church will offer that as a gift only for today. Amen. Just remember, if it's important to you, we'll get it for you. Because this brother impacted my life. And we'll buy it for you. He said, preachers, many of you have been hurt. And now you are hurting others. The hurt that you had from your past is now in your ministry. And the Bible says that the bitter, the slanderous, will not inherit the kingdom of God. He said, if that is you, this is God's warning. Repent today. Come forward now, and I will pray with you, because I was once a bitter preacher. Don't ask me how. Before I knew it, I was on the stage in front of everybody, having hands laid on me, going, falling down, going boom. <laughs> God met me that day because I just had to get up out of my seat. And this is what he said to me. And I'll never forget it, and it made perfect sense. This is how you will know you are bitter. Think of the one who has hurt you. Put them in your mind right now because all of us have been hurt. And then ask yourself this question. Can I pray this prayer? Lord, bless them more than you bless me. He said, if you cannot pray that prayer, you have not forgiven them. And you are bitter. Because even the greatest of enemies, even the Hitlers, the worst of the worst, you would want God to save them and to bless them. You would not want them to go to hell, even your worst enemies. They will, they will have a punishment on earth. They will suffer on earth. Things will go wrong, the Bible says. Even they might have, to, you know, have a death penalty, right? But you want them to be blessed to go to heaven. And I, as a preacher, could not say that about my Bible college president. I had hidden it in my heart, and I had watched relationships around me break down And I couldn't understand it until that preacher said it, and then I got it. And I was like, that's it. And I went right up there, and I just repented. So, brothers and sisters, when I tell you that it is subtle, it is so subtle. John Brevere wrote a book called The Bait of Satan. And we'll we'll let you choose one if you have that in your heart, either the fire of his holiness or the bait of Satan. Anyone in this uh, service today as, uh, as a blessing, we'll buy those books for you. Because here's the deal, brothers and sisters. Many of us here have been hurt, and we would all agree, good. Christians agree with you. We understand the morals of the Bible, and people have violated them against you. We don't make excuses here. We don't say it's okay here. Let me just tell you one more story and how, how bitterness defiled. Somebody say, make it plain. Oh, I'm going to make it really plain right now. I'm talking like Jerry Springer kind of plain. You ready? I wish I could call him up right here because it would get wild how plain I can make it. So we had a youth group, 
And there were churches that would come and send their young people to our youth group because it was a cool youth group. And as long as the pastors approved and the leaders over there approved, I allowed it because I don't want to cause division with those other churches. But, but when I met the pastors, they said, no, this is good. Our, our jovenes do not have a iglesia, pastor. Por favor, please let them come to yours. That's how they said it to me. Most of them Hispanic. One precious church that I love so much said, you can have all of our jovenes. Take care of them. Get them to Fuego de Dios. So I said, okay. The pastor's daughter came. The friends came. Beautiful. They were part of their church's worship team. They could sing like angels. Wonderful. Blessed. I didn't see one of them for quite some time. They disappeared. All of them then did eventually. I don't know what happened. I talked to the pastor. I can't remember what his answer was, but he said, I still see them, but there's things going on. That was about all he told me, as, as, as I can remember. Many years go by. Now I'm going to the cemetery, I mean seminary over here, Trinity, and I see the sister now, and she's in Bible college. And I say to her, man, where have you been? I asked around about you, you know, what, what happened? She said, Pastor, at the time I was going to your church, my stepfather molested me. He was an elder in the church. My parents with the pastor said, do not report it to the police because then he'll be sent back to his country. She said, I had to live with him for the rest of my years. Had to live with him. I said, okay, I'm glad you told me that. Let me just tell you a few things now as well. That's why there's a hell, number one, and if he doesn't repent, he's going to hell. And I'm sorry, this is what I said to her, for the way your pastors treated that situation. They cared about this man's immigration status more than they did about protecting you. And who knows if he ever did it again to anybody else or will do it again to anybody else. You break the law, you've lost your privileges. And me being compassionate. Are you listening? Judgment comes. We left it at that. We became somewhat friends as much as I could with the young lady there. Told her to come back to our church. She never really did. My wife then shows me her Facebook about, what is it, a year ago? In a relationship with a woman. In the relationship with a woman. Somebody say it defiles many. You see, that girl's sexuality got messed up through molestation. And it wasn't handled right. But she thought she was okay, even though she didn't go through whatever steps the Lord wanted her to go through at the time, even when I met her. And then I reached out to her, and her lesbian partner, whatever, I wrote them a message. And I said, you know that I love you. I care about you. I want to meet with you and my wife. And I tagged my wife in it. Would you please get back to us? We saw that she read it, and she never got back. Would you pray for her when you think of me? Because I want to see that young lady come back to Jesus. But that's how bitterness gets in. That's how people say the church hurt me, and it didn't work. And I might as well just be who I want to be now. But you see, it defiles you. It messes you up. And that's an extreme example, but I've seen it all throughout my church here as well, that when sin comes in and then that bitterness begins to grow, instead of just saying the devil's a liar, the devil is the evil one, God is the good one, and God has a church that will help me, we put it all back on God and we put it back on the church, and then that's why you see today empty chairs is because people don't want to come back to God and say, forgive me and make it right, Jesus. Yes, that young lady should have left that church when that sweet pastor acted like that because he wasn't a sweet pastor anymore. He wasn't protecting her. 
And yes, she should have dealt with her emotions as her mind started to get messed up because of what molestation did. I'm not blaming her for it. I'm just saying she needed to take the, the right steps to have the weeds taken out. Don't just give in to it. And you, brother or sisters, are sitting here today, and now you have your test, your trials. Please, I beg you, do not let bitterness grow up in you. I don't care if it's as subtle as it was in my life, just a disagreement you have with a good person. That, that man was a good person in my Bible college, and we had a disagreement, but the way he treated me was wrong. But I didn't have any right to hold on to it. It defiled me. Instead of giving it to Jesus and having him crush that seed, I chose the lie of that devil, that subtle temptation. And I said, well, it won't hurt me too bad if I just talk about it every now and then, bring it up every now and then. No, it defiled me. Look at verse 16. See that no one is sexually immoral. Now he goes to sexual immorality. Or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. So notice there's three sins that can come in our lives. One specifically defiles many along with us, and it causes a lot of trouble. The the rest are mentioned alongside of this, and we're even given an example of Esau. And this is why I sometimes say in the church, hey, you're either going to be an example for God's goodness or for his judgment. We went through Hebrews chapter 11, and we learned all about the hall of faith. How many remember that? We learned about Abel. We learned about Noah. We learned about Abraham. But guess who we didn't learn about in the hall of faith? Esau. But now we learn about him in the hall of shame. So your life will be a testimony one way or the other. Three sins brought out. Bitterness, sexual immorality, or godlessness. We've already spent some time on bitterness and sexual immorality. Let's talk about Esau. Go with me to Genesis chapter 26. Somebody say godless. Genesis chapter 25, rather. Genesis chapter 25, verse 29. What do you think was so godless about Esau? Like if I was going to ask somebody today on the streets, kind of like the man on the street interview, and, and you know, instead of asking them what is the capital of California, which always is funny when people in California don't know their capital. How many know the capital of Illinois? Springfield. You all smart in here. Amen. How many know what ocean borders New York? Atlantic. How many know what ocean borders California? Pacific, not specific. Amen. Okay. How many knows my favorite place in the world? Florida, Pensacola Beach, Gulf of Mexico. Amen. If I was to ask people on the streets, hey, hey, let me ask you a question. $20 if you get it right. How was Esau godless in the Bible? This guy named Esau, he was godless. How was he godless? I don't even know if they would guess it, would they? You know what it is because you just literally read it with me. He sold his birthright. But, I mean, how many people on the streets would get it? Oh, he was godless. Oh, was he like Sodom and Gomorrah? Uh, did he kill somebody? Did he murder? What did he do? Let me say it to you in a nutshell. He didn't care about what God had for him anymore. He gave up on his promise. That's a real definition of godlessness. It's not just I don't mur you know I murder somebody or I kill somebody or rape somebody because a lot of Christians don't do that but they're still godless supposed Christians if you're tracking with me because what does godless mean according to Esau you don't care about God's promises anymore you can come to this church, say you're part of Abraham's family and Isaac's family, just like Esau did. He never really left and went off there and wild out with the pagans. He was around. He was doing his do diddles. He was hanging out with everybody. But you know what? He didn't care about his promises. This is what the Bible says. One day Jacob was cooking some stew. Esau came in from the open country, famished. Okay, he's hungry. How many get this right here? How many have been hangry before? <laughs> Just tell a little story on me. We were going out the other day to Pequod's. 
And let me just say this. Don't ever tell me about Pequods ever again, okay? I don't ever want to hear about Pequods. So we are leaving the suburbs, coming back into the city, experiencing like a half hour of traffic, and I'm like, why are we doing this? Why? Oh, because somebody said Pequods is good, and we're going to go to the original one. And I'm like, I don't care about Pequods. This is lame. I'm like, we have so many places right by us. We don't have to go there. We can go to Giorgio's. We can go to Luminati's. We can go all, we're passing up all these places. And, like, I felt so bad. Then I got the Pequods. They gave us some bread, and then I was like, y'all just forgive me. Because I, um, I feel better now. Even though Pequod's is still overrated, I'm sorry for making this such a big deal. But seriously, like, I, if, if it was up to me, I would have turned right around. But I was hangry. Somebody say hangry. The older I have gotten, the more sensitive I have gotten to this little belly right here, which is so weird, man. I have so much here, so much on reserves. You think everything would always be good. Like, Joe, you can miss a few meals. Man, I can't. Unless, like, I'm giving it up for Jesus or something. Like, it is not natural. I have, like, come home, and my wife has seen me. You know, I'm just, like, like short with the kids. You guys go over there. You guys go over there. And then she's like, eat this. And I'm, I'm like, okay, guys. I'm all right. Something about my blood sugar, you know what I'm saying? I don't know what it is, but I have to eat at a certain time in a certain way. So how many get that this dude's hungry? Like in, in the sense of we understand why he might be a little bit impatient right now. We can, we can go with that. We can follow through that. So he says to Jacob, quickly, let me have some of the red stew that you made. I'm famished. That's why uh, that was his name before Edom. So Esau is how he was known. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Now how many know Jacob has got to be a schemer to jump right to there? He's not like trade me a donkey, give me a coat, give me your jacket, man, give me a back rub. He's like give me everything you got and then I'll give you some food. That is crazy. You want to talk about being hangry on a whole nother level. You're going to give me your inheritance? You're going to give me your birthright? That's literally what's happening here. Look, I'm about to die. How many know he's not going to die? But that's what he feels. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is this birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swear on an oath, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread, some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Jacob despised his what? His birthright. We talk about this all the time in our church. So many Christians despise their birthright. God calls them to be a life group leader. Ah, I don't need to do that. My boss said, if I come in at this time, he'll give me a little bit of red stew, and I'll trade him for that. Oh, it gets quiet when I preach like this, huh? Y'all Presbyterians or Pentecostals, somebody say amen. Come on, it gets, it gets real though, doesn't it? My boss said this to me. If I do this and I stop serving God like this, I'll have more of whatever he's given. And see, people do that all the time in the church. People all the time. Oh, this relationship I'm in, pastor, you know, I brought him to the church or I brought him to the Bible study. And they said, oh, my church is not so intense. They want me to go to theirs now. So I'm going to leave and go over here. You know what? It's just like selling your birthright for some stew. Because you're not putting God before anything. God to you is just your butler. It's whatever he does for you right away. Come on, Jesus, make this happen. You're Burger King my way right away, right? You're a burger kind of king. Is that what Jesus is? Is he a burger kind of king? No, he's the king of kings and lord of lords. Amen? And, and I'm not saying everything in life is always going to be that extreme. But you'll notice when the things of God stop being so important to you. 
Something is taking its place. There's some stew that you're smelling that you want. And I've been there, even as a pastor. Well, I'll back off this, and I'll just go to doing this because this might bring in more people. You know, I remember one time when we were going to launch our church in Irving Park at that facility that didn't work out. That's why we're here today. When we were there, I was like, you know what? I'm going to maybe bring back some of my messages, you know, just chill them out a little bit. Believe it or not, that's all I'm going to do. I'm going to be sensitive to our visitors. I had been studying a book at that time that that talked about if you're going to bring on a lot of new people because we were advertising over there, and we we did. Got about 100 new people at the launch, you know. So uh, they, they outnumbered even the ones we came with. Okay, I think we came there with about... 75 and then went right up to like 175 or something, you know, and I was reading a book and then the way it said is whenever you do that, you got to think about how cars come onto the highway. You know, they don't come in at 100 miles an hour. They come in at about 45 miles an hour on the ramp. How many know what I'm talking about? How many are hearing some even wisdom in that? I mean, there's probably even something good in that. And then they kind of merge on in. And I'll even still use that language today. Take your time, you know, and, but I'll tell you what, I pulled it back too much. I pulled it back too much, and then I, all of a sudden I saw a mess over here, mess over there, a mess everywhere, here a mess, there a mess. You know, I just saw messes everywhere, and I said, oh, forget this. I'm coming out back as strong as I can. And literally, within a little bit of shaking and rumbling, about 90% of them left because they didn't want the word. What they just wanted was that new church next to their neighborhood to scratch that religious itch on Sunday to make them feel good. I remember sitting down with one uh, young man. He was like, bro, I really love your preaching, man, but when you guys talk about being Pentecostal, speaking in tongues, that's not really for me. And I had a test in my heart at that time. Well, do I want this gentleman to keep in, you know, being in my church, or do I want to keep speaking in tongues, being Pentecostal? And that's what I had to make those decisions. But then he rolled out. And then I had another one say to me, because we were going to Boricua Fest at that time. And he said, oh, man, you know, he was an artist. He was a barber. He was a cool dude. And he, my, we still have his art in our house. And he was like, man, I just don't feel called to that. And you're making me feel bad, you know. You know, can I still be a part of this church if I don't want to go to Boricua Fest to do outreaches? And I had to say, no, man. I mean, you're, you, you can show up at the church, but you're not considered a part of church unless you do what the church does. And so he got offended and he left. You understand what I'm saying? How many people right now aren't making those right decisions? They're not letting people leave. Sometimes you got to let people leave. Sometimes you got to hold on to what you have that's more important than what you don't have. Some of you are single. Hold on to your singleness more than trying to get into a relationship because you might, hold, you might grab the wrong one. See, this man didn't care about his birthright. He traded a birthright for bread and stew. You think that's worth it? Of course not, it's not worth it. Now go back to the message, please, and someone come to the keys. Notice this. He sold his inheritance. Now, verse 17, afterward, as you know, when he wanted it to inherit his blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what had been done. There are some decisions in life that you and I will have to pay the price for. There are some things that once we break God's word, we still may have a chance for forgiveness but we will have to reap the consequences. How many are glad Jeffrey Dahmer got saved in prison? If you didn't hear it, he did. How many are glad he still got the death penalty? I'm glad. You can't let people think that they can do that and then just ask for forgiveness and come back out. You know, I hope his, his repentance was real, but you're not coming out. You're going to meet him now. Amen? Somebody say, my choices have consequences. Some consequences last a while. Come on, how many of you got some babies, some baby mamas, (laughs) some baby daddies? How many know consequences from choices can last a while sometimes? 
And abortion don't fix that. Just makes you a a a, 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 a hoe and a, a murderer, if I can say that the best way possible. A a immoral 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 murderer. You know, have that baby given up for adoption if you can't keep it. He wanted that inheritance back after he realized what it cost him. I look at some of my friends and how they've given up on their ministry. They'll never get back their 20s for God. They'll never get back their 30s. I gave my 20s and 30s to Jesus. But you know what I can't get back? I can't get back my teen years. I look at my kids now and how they're my age when I was doing the, the wicked things I was doing. How many parents have ever had that revelation and a cold chill just went up and down your spine? Your kids are at the age you were at when you were doing wild stuff. <laughs> Where's Bethany and Hannah? <laughs> I don't even want to think about it. You know what I'm saying. Come on. I'm not the only one here with the past. But you know what? I tell them honestly. This is what I tell them. I didn't have to make it out. Some of my friends died as teenagers. We just lost a precious young man, not because of his sin, but just because of how life comes and goes. Jason Jr., our worship leader who used to be here, now he's at another church. He was out changing a tire with his son last week. Of all the times for a tire to fall off a semi, it was at that time, struck him, put him in the hospital, ICU, and he passed. Can you imagine that? Dad, I'll be out there to help you. Go out there to help your dad as a teenager change a tire. And the next thing you know, you're dead. That's why I tell people, man, you don't even know when you get a chance to repent. Some of you want to repent at that last minute, that deathbed confession. You don't know when it's coming. But I think about my teenage years, and I look at my kids, and I tell them, I go, I didn't have to make it out, so don't plan on God's grace to keep going and going and going. He may not renew your season. You may get canceled. The second thing that I like to remind, especially young people, is that you don't know what it costs until you come out of it. In other words, did I get out of my backsliding? Yes, I did. Thank God I did. As a rebellious teenager, I came out. I turned out okay, as they would say, by God's grace. He blessed me with the wife, kids. But here's the thing. You don't understand the scars that you have until you get out. See, I have earthly scars, one on my leg right here because we were high on drugs and we wanted to break into some places. So we found this gas station out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, that's where we did, where we went in my area because we were suburban kids. So we went out to the country towns and we wanted to do bad stuff. So we took some bricks, threw it through their windows. They didn't have alarms. You know, it was just an old country gas station that was closed. And it was jagged glass all there. And I'm about ready to slip in. And I go, man, I can't slip in there. So I go to kick it. And when I go to kick it, I slip on the glass. And then the glass goes right into my leg. Have to pull it out. Man, I'm bleeding everywhere. Put my hand to feel it. My hand goes into my leg. Take off my shirt. Wrap it up. Ask my friends to drop me off at the hospital. These are the kind of friends that I had. They didn't even wait for me. They leave me. I have to walk all the way from that hospital to where my car was miles that day because I had no money. We were broke at that time. That's why we were breaking into that gas station. But you know what? I didn't get caught. That was, I got arrested eight times, but that wasn't one of the times. But you know what I have? I have something worse than a record. I have a scar. And I have the shame of my embarrassment that I did that to somebody. And what I'm just telling you, young people, listen to me. 
You don't understand what it's like to lose something, try to cry to get it back, and you can't get it back. I couldn't get back my virginity no matter how hard I cried. I couldn't get back my mind after looking at pornography no matter how hard I cried. When I first became a Christian, you know, just like a lot of young men, lust was my temptation. But you know what's the worst worst temptations of lust were? The things I had done and saw the places I had been, the movies I had watched. I'm weeping to the Lord. Take this away. I never want to see it again. And God has taken away the, the, the desire for me to sin in that way. I haven't sinned in pornography since 96. God has kept me, but he never erased the memory. That's a part of my scar that I carry. And I know a lot of times people come up with, you know, like cool ways to look at your scars. They're they're proofs that you've gone through something and you're healed. I understand that. But I'm talking about there's other types of scars that you look at and you wish they were never there. I never faced those kinds of things in my mind until I went past some barriers that the Lord told me not to. Even as a backslider, there were things I knew not to do. And I did some of those things. And some of those things are my worst memories today. Dreams that I have, waking up in cold sweats. You know, sometimes people idolize the life they had. Well, well, I'm kind of tempted to go back with the devil. Man, if, if the Lord will really show you who you were with the devil, those will become your nightmares. My nightmare now is when I wake up in a party, drunk, hanging out with some girl I don't know, catching some STD. Are you listening? That's a nightmare for me. Whoa, you know, I wake up like, man, I lost everything again. I'm back to there. And a lot of times we talk about in church, there's second and third chances, but I just want to put out that warning today. Everybody listen to me. You cheat on your wife, sir. I don't care how many times you cry and how much she comes to church, she will never forget that you cheated on her. Can God restore that marriage? Absolutely. But the offense of that shame to her conscience will sear her for the rest of her life. That's there. The Bible literally says in Hebrews that that will not be taken away on this earth. You will have crushed a part of that marriage that never should have been touched. Now, I know I preach the message of restoration and healing to those who have gone through those things, but I am here to try to warn you. There are things you can lose in life that you cannot get back. If I cheat on my wife, I can never get back the respect I have for my kids as a man that's faithful to my wife. I'll never get that back. There will be a part of the respect that they once had for me that I now will lose. They may forgive me. They may still respect me in other ways. But they will never see me as a loyal husband ever again. They'll see me as the one who disrespected their mother, broke his vow, and then regretted it in the end. So when I look at Esau, I look back at my past and I go, oh, yeah. There's some things that I have gone through that I wish I never went through, and now the Lord will have to keep me in a sound mind from the shame I feel from those things. He will, but it will be a battle at times. Can I get an amen from anybody here with the past? It will be a battle. And then the second thing, I'm not out of the clear yet. I now have a future where I can mess this thing up like Esau, be weeping and crying and never get it back. What if my wife says, I never want you back? She has the right to divorce an adulterous man, doesn't she? 
The Bible says don't get a divorce except for adultery and neglect, and we count in their abuse and so forth, right? So she could look at me and say, it's over. No matter how much I cry, I could have lost my family. Can I hear an amen? And you can't talk her in. If, if she doesn't want to, she doesn't have to. So often in life, we're ready for second and third chances where we don't count the cost. Brothers and sisters, hear me today. Esau is an example of someone who could not make up what he had lost. Is there still grace and forgiveness for guys like him? Yep. Can we still be loved and forgive? Did God love David? Did God do all that? Yeah. Uh, can, like I said, Jeffrey Dahmer's go to heaven? Absolutely. But do not play with God and think everything comes back. The double for your trouble, the restoration passages have to do with God's promise and plan despite our failures. But there will be some things God will say, this thing is over, move on. Maybe one more last example because I gave some extreme ones, but I just want to give some basic ones. My fr- well, I guess it's still extreme if you think about it in one way, but it's not as extreme as the others. My friend, close friend, went to Bible college with, just as old as I am, just as anointed, gifted, knows the Bible, married as I am, six kids as I am, was working a side job as he was doing ministry, as I did at different times to save up for a boat and those things you know I did doing Uber, went back to drugs. I don't know how in the world he got tempted to do it, distress of life, bored one day. I don't know, but the story I got from his wife is that the people he would pick up eventually got to him, and he started doing drugs with them, getting to know them, and then eventually he just went full on back to drugs as a 40-plus-year-old man. Do you know that he will never be the same in his ministry from that day forward? Because what are you going to think about him? I mean, you, you would forgive him, right? You would love him. But how many knows he comes before you today? And, and, and most denominations and even our church agrees with two or three years you can be restored. We keep you under discipline, watchful eye. We don't want to have you never do something good, good for God. You know, so two or three years. Okay, he's holding the mic. Let's say that's me. I'm that guy. And I'm telling you as a pastor, overcome your temptation. Live holy for the Lord, no matter how good it gets. I'm teaching you literally this passage. How many know there will be people in this sanctuary that will say, well, I guess it doesn't really work because it didn't work for you. You went back to drugs. You were 20, 30 years sober. See, that's why it matters. My dad taught it to me like this. It takes a lifetime to build your testimony with the Lord, but only one moment to lose it. I know God would forgive me, but I'm never coming back here saying I've been free from pornography since 2023. How many know that would be a weird day? Because it was 96, y'all. I'm not coming back saying it was 2023 starting it over again. No, it was 96. I haven't looked at pornography since then. I'm not coming back to you saying the last time I got drunk was 23. No, last time I got drunk was 95. Last time I smoked weed was 95. Are you guys listening to me? You got to get to the point where you understand what holiness is, what living for Jesus is. Well, what about the areas you've struggled in? Yeah, there are things that I did in 2023. Yeah, I've, I've lost my temper and I've said things to my wife I have I shouldn't have said and I've been impatient with my kids. I'm not saying that we've all, that I've always been perfect, but I am not in a deliberate sin and as I get closer to the one that is sinless, I sin less. As I get closer to the one that is sinless, I sin less. And I don't go back to the vomit as a dog to the things that God already set me free from. There has to be that in our lives. 
I don't want you to look at me that way, and I don't want to look at you that way. Maybe it's one last one. Help me, Jesus, and the music is helping. I feel the anointing. When I grew up, I was young because I wasn't always old, as everybody knows. We didn't start with gray hair, but I was their age. And I remember seeing the adults in my church be hypocrites. But it was the ones that were living for God that were my heroes. It was when I came back to Jesus. Those were the ones that I looked up to. I have words of theirs written down in my Bible, Marco, when I would go to their Bible studies and their life groups, and I was just a teenager, and they would say, God has called you to be like a Peter. Do you know how much it would break my heart as a young Christian if that dear saint backslid? The very one that prophesied over me, the very one that said, I was praying for you, I thank God that not everybody was a hypocrite. I thank God that there were people holding on and keeping on because now I'm their age. Now I'm where they're at. And we can have that testimony together. Amen? We'll go to the rest of these later. We're going to end on a serious note. But how many are going to live, with, live for Jesus without regrets? Amen. Can we stand up? Let's give it up for Jesus. Thank you for your patience. Band and altar workers, would you come please?